through Psalms this morning. We're back again this evening. 92nd Psalm. And we'll just read a couple of verses together. Verse 12 and following. The righteous shall flurry like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh or fat, the old King James says, and flourishing. Now, this morning, for those of you who were here, you know that we uh, spoke about the house of the Lord, and the title of the message was Delighting Ourselves in the House of the Lord. And I want, if I may, just for this evening only, uh, to continue along these lines with this particular theme. And if I was to uh, put a subtitle to this tonight, it would be the role of the church local the role of the church local in the life of the church universal. The role of the church local in the life of the church universal. Now what do I mean by that? Well, when I say the church universal, I am speaking about the church as it uh, consists of the body of Christ, every born-again believer on the face of the earth. Not talking about Christendom, which takes in all kinds of people who profess Christianity, but they haven't got it. Obviously, I'm only talking about those who are true believers in Christ, regardless of culture or color, regardless of class. Uh, that is the church universal. When I speak of the church local, I'm obviously talking about uh, something which is much more geographical, uh, living relatively close to, in a geographical area, uh, we come to a local church in that sense. Now, churches are not as local as they used to be. Uh, it used to be that you went to the church where it was within walking distance because you didn't have a car and you might not even have a push bike. So you had to hoof it. And so churches in those days were, were literally local. But the onset of public transport and, and personal transport means that that has spread out a little bit more. But you know what I'm saying when I speak about a local church? I'm speaking about a church such as this church, which is local uh, within this particular uh, community. Now, believe it or not, uh, even though all of us belong to the church universal, uh, but in practical terms, we are made to function within the church local. It's wonderful to belong to the church universal. No matter where you go in the world, you're going to meet fellow believers. And that's great. But in practical terms, uh, God expects us to belong to the church uh, local. When I say belong to, I mean to become part of. I mean to be committed to. To be positively participating in. And if we are not, we've got to ask the question, why not? Because it's biblical and it's scriptural, and God expects it. One of the great weaknesses, particularly of the Western church today, is the lack of commitment. The lack of commitment to local church. God expects it. 
And oftentimes that is not the case, where people are not planted and they're not rooted in the house of the Lord, and they become like tumbleweed, and they just blow with the breeze, and they're here a while and there a while, and here a while and there a while. And I can understand, of course, if somebody is between churches, for whatever reason, they felt that they uh, had to leave a particular church. Maybe God was leading them some other direction. I don't know. But uh, they, they left in the right frame of mind and they left in the right way. And uh, they're looking for a church where they can plant themselves. That's fine. Sometimes it takes a little while to find such a place. However, if that goes on and goes on and goes on and goes on, then there's something wrong. Because God expects us to be planted and rooted and grounded in the house of the Lord. We saw this morning how much David loved the house of the Lord. And we read such scriptures as, uh, One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He said, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. How lovely are your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they will still be praising you. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And so we know that the psalmist, as we explained this morning, had a tremendous thirst and desire to be in the house of the Lord. Jesus himself loved the house of the Lord. In John chapter 2, it gives us a little insight into this. Remember Jesus uh, cleansed the temple. He kicked out all the money changers. Those, of, those who were extorting people, uh, making money out of their sacrifices. And he drove them out and made a whip of cords and chased them out. In verse 17, Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. When Jesus saw what they were doing to God's house that should have been a house of prayer, he was so angry. Righteous indignation rose up within him and he drove them out. And the disciples had never ever seen him like that before. And then they remembered the scripture. It's because of his zeal for the house of the Lord. In Luke chapter 4, Verse 16, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And we know what he read, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and so forth. But notice here, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. It was his habit it's good to have godly and good spiritual habits. Things that we regularly do. Things that are a must in our life. Uh, things that we absolutely have to do. 
And Jesus, as his custom was, on the Sabbath day, went to the house of the Lord. That's a wonderful thing. The disciples in Acts chapter 2. In verse 42, this was after the 3,000 had got saved. Well, verse 41, Then those who were gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking the bread and in prayers. Verse 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And so there's a pattern here. And when you look at the New Testament pattern, you'll see that God had raised up the church and he raised up places where the church met, because we are the church, where the church met and they did it regularly. And they loved the fellowship of the saints. And they loved to worship God corporately together. Now notice what it said in our Psalm 92. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Planted implies stickability. Plant it implies given everything you've got in terms of your time, your talent, even your ties. Plant it means that you are grounded, that your two feet are firmly planted in the house of the Lord. If only the Western church did this, it would be a much stronger church than it is presently today. But we struggle. It seems to be there's so many other things uh, that attracts us and distracts us and causes us to wander and take it or leave it. There seems to be a prevailing attitude. Well, if I don't come this week and if I don't come this month or don't come in the next six months, well, when I come back, it'll still be there. That seems to be an attitude. It's not a biblical one. It's not a godly one, but oftentimes that's the way that it happens. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, this implies being grounded now, if you read through the epistles, particularly of Paul, you'll discover that there's two words particularly that Paul keeps saying in his letters to the churches and to the church leaders. One is established and the other is steadfast. He was a stickler for this. In Colossians 2 and 7, he speaks about being rooted and built up and established in the faith. Ephesians 3.17 being rooted and grounded in love. 1 Thessalonians 3.13, established in holiness. 2 Thessalonians 2.17, established in every good work and every good word. Hebrews 13.9, established in grace. That was 
Paul's underlying teaching to the churches and to church leaders and to the saints of the church to be established, to be grounded, and to be steadfast. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Peter, 1 Peter 5, 9, speaks about being steadfast in the faith. Writer to the Hebrews, chapter 3, 14, being steadfast in confidence. Philippians 1.27, steadfast in one spirit. Galatians 5.1, steadfast in the liberty that Christ has set us free in. And so you don't have to read very far in the epistles of Paul to see that underlying all that he taught was this business of being rooted and being grounded and being steadfast and being strong and being planted in the house of the Lord. And that is the pattern. Would to God that we understood that this is God's pattern. Many of you do, of course, thank God for that. Some of you have been planted here a long, long, long time. Hmm. Planted implies expected growth. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. If you have been planted in the good soil of God's house and you've been watered by the pure water of the Word and you've been basking in the presence of the Lord, there is nothing sure you will grow spiritually. You will. If you have come here regularly and faithfully and been grounded and planted, if you look back over your life, you will see growth. If we have been doing what we know to do, our lives will grow and we shall see Good growth in our lives. Do you remember the story in Numbers chapter 17? How that there was a, a rebellion, as it were, against the order that God had given Moses regarding leadership. Remember how Aaron, his brother, had been appointed the high priest. And uh, there was those within the camp of Israel who was saying that was nepotism. It was just Moses just appointing his brother. And this rose to such a pitch that God was highly displeased. And so he set a test uh, for the camp of Israel. And here's what he said. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and get from them a rod from each father's house, all their leaders according to their father's houses, twelve rods. Write each man's name on his rod, and you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house, and you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony where I will meet with you. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel which they make against you." So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece. For each leader, according to their father's houses, twelve rods, according to the tribes. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. In other words, we could say, in the house of the Lord. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds, and produced blossoms, and yielded ripe almonds. 
Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. The Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Thus did Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Now notice what happened to the chosen of God. And you are the chosen of God. You are the elect of God. God chose you. And look what happened with God's choice, the chosen one. In that case, it happened to be Aaron. When those dead sticks were all placed in the house of God, the one that was chosen by God, it budded, it blossomed, and it bore fruit, which is quite unusual, you would have to admit. Normally the process would be that the buds would start, and then the buds would turn to blossoms, and then there would be fruit after that. But at one go, at one time, they budded and they blossomed and they bore fruit. That rod did. When you are planted in the house of the Lord as God's chosen people, you will bud and you will blossom and you will bear fruit. And do you know you can do that all at the same time? Some of you may be at the fruit-bearing stage where you see some fruit come out of your life. Some of you may be at the blossoming stage. You haven't quite got the fruit yet, but you're heading in the right direction. Some of you are perhaps are just starting out and it's just little, little buds of new growth starting. But no matter how, whether you're budding or blossoming and bearing fruit, you can actually do all three at the same time because while you're bearing fruit, there can be new buds starting. God can be doing new things in your life. Or you may be in between where he started and he's maturing you. You haven't just got the full fruit of it yet, but you're getting there because you see the blossoms coming. And so as we be planted in the house of the Lord, then we can expect to see some fruit growing. You remember Jesus, he was hungry one day and passing a fig tree, he went to get some first ripe figs. And always on the tree was leaves. That's always on the tree, just leaves. Remember how he cursed that tree. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever, and it died. But that's always on it. All foliage, but no fruit. It looked beautiful. looked attractive. But there was nothing growing. It was barren. And so we have got to be planted in the house of the Lord until our lives are bearing some fruit. Until we see spiritual growth within our lives. That's what God looks for. In John chapter 15, he talks about him being the vine, we being the branches. And if we, the branches are locked into the vine and are part of the vine, then we should be bearing fruit. And he looks for the fruit. And if he doesn't see any, he'll start pruning to make sure that there's some fruit comes. And he wants her fruit to remain. <coughs> Those that are planted 
in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Those that are planted in the house of the Lord, that's inside. That's to do with our worship. That's vertical. But we shall flourish in the courts of our God. That's to do with our witness and our works. That's horizontal. And so as we grow in the house of the Lord, as we mature in the house of the Lord, as we begin to bear fruit in the house of the Lord, then it's got to be taken out there. It's got to be taken beyond the house of the Lord into the courts. Sally and I was in Seville, Spain, just last year, the year before, I forget which, but it was just a short time ago. I always wanted to go to Seville in Spain. Heard it was a beautiful city, and it was and is a beautiful city very historic city and they've got a very large cathedral there and outside the cathedral in the courtyard there's fruit growing there's fruit trees I think it was lemons might have been oranges one or the other and that was what it was like in Bible days around the temple precincts and the surrounding areas Fruit would be grown. Shady areas where people could stand. So this speaks to us, uh, to us, of a growth that's not just internally, but that is external, that goes out. Plant it inside. That's in the house. Flourishing outside, that's the courts. Planted inside, that's Godward. Flourishing outside, that's manward. Planted inside, that's worshipping. Flourishing outside, that's witnessing. And so we need both. And part of the reason why God wants us to be planted in the house of the Lord is so that we are trained and we are made mature and more knowledgeable in things of God so that we take that out there. And this is why Johnny's, both Johnny's actually, are taking classes. Johnny and Tess is taking one right now, the witness workshops. And, and uh, Johnny Brady and Jason Dick was doing the one, the Christianity Explored, which they may do again. And that's the reason why they're doing that, so that we can go beyond the four walls of this building. It's wonderful to come. God has given us this facility for us to come here and worship together and learn together and be trained together so that we can go out there and try to reach our loved ones and try to reach our friends and our neighbours. It's wonderful. I'm looking forward to the day, Johnny, when somebody from your class comes to you and said, do you know what? I have just led one of my relatives to the Lord. <laughs> what a joy that's going to be. You've got to believe for that. You've got to use what you've got. There are people out there and they're just waiting for somebody to ask them. Just waiting. I, I told, did I tell you, I told our, our home group that just, what, two, couple of weeks ago I had the joy of leading my cousin and her husband who's got cancer, leading them to the Lord. My sister and I went to visit them. And do you know what? 
He was so ready. He was so ready. It was so easy. It was just like plucking right fruit of a tree. Almost didn't even have to ask him. In fact, he brought up the subject before he even got to it. He was so ready. And we prayed together, the two of them, and he cried like a baby. He just cried like a baby. He's 79 years old. She's 82. It's a good time to get saved, isn't it? Now they're wishing that I got saved years ago. But you can't leave it much later than that. Sure you can't. So it's got to go beyond here. It's got to go beyond the meeting place. It's got to go out there. And it says about this that the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The palm tree flourishes even in the desert. Even in the wilderness. Even when there's drought. And the reason why it can do that is because it's got a great tap root that goes down very deep into the soil. And it can suck up the moisture and the water from deep down. And it's able to do that and it's able to last and endure. So we're to be like that. We need to have a, a, a root system that goes down deep in our lives. Because sometimes we'll be facing drought situations around us. And we have to dig in deep and draw up for ourselves. Nobody's going to come along with a big hose and hose it down. So we've got to go deep. Deep in Christ and deep in the things of God and be able to flourish. The cedar tree, it flourishes in the hard places, on the hilly places, on the mountain sides. And they're great trees, the cedar trees. And they have a, a wonderful grain, wonderful character. Solomon, when he's making the great temple, he furnished it with cedar. Because beautiful grain. It's a lovely wood to work with. And God wants us to have character and to have good grain. He wants us to be able to be worked well. And so the cedar tree will grow in the mountain places, in the hard places, in the steep places, in the rocky places, in the stormy places. The great giant redwoods in California, they can grow to 300 feet tall. That's big, isn't it? 300 feet. Some of them are two and a half thousand years old. Now you would think that trees like that would have a great massive root system, but actually they don't, strangely enough. But what they do have is their roots intertwine with others around it. All the root systems intertwine. And that's what gives them all strength together. That's what keeps them strong and growing upright. So all these things speak to us about our growth in Christ. 
that says that they shall bear fruit in their old age and they shall be fresh and flourishing. The dates of the palm get sweeter the older the palm gets. <laughs> so you oldies, and I'll include me in that, getting there, we're getting sweeter as we go on. Not nice. At least we should be. We should be. Why? Because we have matured. We have developed. And therefore the fruit of the Spirit within us has developed and matured us. And so the older a believer is, the sweeter they should be in Christ. Now, I know that some of them are very crabby. <laughs> and they gurn a lot, as we say. It's a great word, gurning, isn't it? <laughs> but that ought not to be the way. We ought to be sweeter as we go on. And uh, they can produce much fruit, actually. Some palm trees can live a long, long, long time and can produce much, much fruit. Now, whenever you're older, you mightn't have the same energy. You might be able to do the things you did when you're in your 20s or your 30s. But you have the maturity as an older saint. Certainly should be a lot wiser. Certainly should see through the world more than a young person because they haven't got the experience. But we have been there, done that, got the t-shirt, learned our lessons, moved on, are becoming mature. It said they would be fresh or fat and flourishing. Those great cedars are so stout. They're fat and they're flourishing. And they're strong. Isn't it great when you meet a dear old saint and they still love the Lord as much as they ever did. In fact, they love the Lord more. And they're stronger and they're much more mature. And even though their physical body is decaying, but yet their inner man is going stronger every day. And that's the way that it's supposed to be. And that's what the house of the Lord is supposed to do for us. There's a purpose why God wants us to meet in the house of the Lord. And that's just some of it. There's a purpose for it. Let me just read you this. We're going to close, but let me just read you this. Dr. Charles McCoy never married. He devoted his years instead to pastoring a church and pursuing a plethora of educational goals. At age 72, when his denomination required that he retire from ministry, he reluctantly left his Baptist pulpit in Oyster Bay, New York. He wasn't sure what to do with himself. Over the years, he had accumulated seven different college degrees, but now they all seemed so futile. He said, I, I just lie in my bed thinking that my life's over, and I haven't really done anything yet. 
I've been pastor of this church for so many years and nobody really wants me much and what have I done for Christ? I've spent an awful lot of time working for degrees, degrees but I haven't won very many people to the Lord. But just about a week after his retirement, he met a missionary who abruptly invited him to come to India to preach. And Dr. McCoy deferred, citing his age. He had never been overseas. He had never even traveled across America, had never flown a plane. So he couldn't imagine traveling to India. Furthermore, he didn't have the money. However, the thought nagged at him. And so white-haired old Dr. Charles McCoy announced that he was going to India. He sold his car and a few possessions and he bought a one-way plane ticket. By yourself? Asked his horrified friends to India? By yourself? What if you fall ill? What if she said die in India? Well, it's just as close to heaven from there as it is from here, he replied. <laughs> He arrived in Bombay with his wallet, his Bible, and his passport, all of which were promptly stolen by pickpockets. He was left with only the clothes on his back and the address of some missionaries that he had clipped from a magazine. The man who originally invited him remained in America. And when he showed up at the missionary's doorstep, they weren't sure what to do with him. So after a day or so, McCoy declared he was going to visit the mayor of Bombay. Don't waste your time, advised his new friends. So after several years of trying, they had never been able, after several years of trying, they had never been able to see the mirror. McCoy prayed about it, and he went anyway. He presented his calling card to the receptionist, and she looked at it carefully, then disappeared through a door. Returning, she told him to come back at three o'clock. McCoy returned that afternoon to find a reception in his honor, attended by the most important civic leaders in Bombay. It seems that the city fathers had been greatly impressed by McCoy's tall frame. He was six foot four. His distinguished white hair, and especially by the long string of degrees after his, after his name and his calling card. He is a very important man, they thought. Perhaps even a representative of the President of the United States. <laughs> Dr. McCoy spoke for half an hour, giving his testimony about Jesus Christ. And at the end, he was politely applauded by the assembled crowd. And afterwards, he was approached by a man in an impressive military uniform who invited him to speak to the students of his school. As it turned out, his school was India's equivalent to West Point. And after his first address, McCoy was invited back repeatedly. Invitations soon poured in from all over India, and he began an itinerant ministry of preaching the gospel. In Kolkata, he started a Chinese church, he was asked to do the same in Hong Kong. He was invited to Egypt and the Middle East, traveling everywhere on a shoestring, but with the energy that he had seldom had ever felt before. His evangelistic ministry now stretched to 16 years, and at age 88, he again found himself in India in Calcutta. Almost finished. His host dropped him off at the Grand Hotel, and as he stepped from the car, he said, You know, I'm speaking tonight at the YMCA. I have a time for a cup of tea and a bit of rest. I don't want to be late for the meeting. So he ducked into his hotel, took the elevator to his floor, and suddenly the Lord called him home. It was just to cl as close to heaven from India as he had said, as from America. And Dr. Charles McCoy had wonderfully embodied the final words of Psalm 92, which are we have just read. 
Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. <laughs> are you planted in the house of the Lord? Good news is, sorry slimmers, but you shall be fat and flourishing. <laughs> fat and flourishing. In Christ, that is. Spiritually. <laughs> Wouldn't it be lovely to be 20 stone spiritually? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be good? So let's put on weight spiritually. There you are. There's, sir, there's the theme for your next ladies' night. Put on weights. Kathy will get weight off you physically. Sarah will get weight on you spiritually. That's a good deal, isn't it? <laughs> you can do it all on the same night. Glory to God. Amen. Let's pray.